Welcome to Forward, the podcast for people who love children's literature. I'm your host, Kelsey Buckley. On this season of Forward, we'll be talking about reading outside the box, expanding our ideas about how, what, where, and who we read, and encouraging our listeners to explore the wide and wonderful world of children's literature. Our guest today is David Wiesner. David is an illustrator and writer of children's books, and he's particularly known for picture books that tell stories without words. He is the recipient of numerous awards and honors and is the author of three Caldecott awarded titles, Tuesday, The Three Pigs, and Flotsam. So welcome, David, to the Forward <laughs> Podcast. Thank you for being with us today. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. This season, uh, we're asking all of our guests on the podcast to answer kind of the same opening question because here at Island Readers and Writers, or IRW, we really believe that picture books are for everyone. So what is one great picture book that we should read that you think that we should add to our list? Wow. So that's sort of an impossible question. There's so many. So <laughs> I'm kind of narrowed down to two here that I was I was mulling over Peter Spears' Rain and David McCauley's Shortcut. Um, and I think I'm going to pick Shortcut. Um, okay. Just because I have to pick one. Uh, so uh, Shortcut is sort of one of the, uh, what we call the cause and effect trilogy of David's books, Black and White, his Caldecott book is another one and Why Chicken, The Chicken Crossed the Road is another. And they're just wonderfully funny, really funny. I mean, that's probably the key thing, but um, Shortcut in particular weaves together a set of uh, stories that all intersect at different places. And you must, you must read the pictures very, very carefully to understand what's going. And the, the text itself is just so beautifully concise. You know, there's not a word extra. It's just what it needs. Very funny, very dry. So to begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your origin story as an author and illustrator? I suspect it's a lot like a lot of artists. Um, I was I was that kid who was drawing all the time. Um, whenever anyone met me, that was probably the second thing after my name they knew about me. Um, to my family, to my friends, to my teachers, you know, that's David. Oh, he loves to draw. I mean, it was just like the second thing out of anybody's mouth. I honestly can't remember a time when drawing just wasn't a part of my you know, daily routine. I, I just, um, I discovered so much art along the way, you know, growing up, going to my <clears throat> local library, Brook, New Jersey Public Library. You know, as a kid, you could go to the library and they wouldn't kick you out, you know. <laughs> wasn't like uh, going to where I got my comic books, you know, hey kid, this is in the library, <laughs> buy it or leave. You go to the library, you could just sit there and look at stuff. So I would go back in the stacks and I discovered those time life books um, all about art, you know, all, all the different time periods and the different art movements. And it was, it was an education, you know, it was amazing. And I soaked it all up and specific um, things really, you know, grabbed me. Um, 
a lot of the Renaissance painters, Durer, Da Vinci, you know, Michelangelo, um, Peter Bruegel. I, I mean, I love these pictures that were so full of detail um, and story. There was so much going on in the backgrounds of a lot of these pictures. And, you know, it would just suck me right into them. Um, I also was deeply, <laughs> deeply influenced by the surrealists, painters like Salvador Dali and Rene Magritte, um, who were painting in a very academic way, not unlike, you know, those Renaissance painters, but the subject matter was just so strange, wonderfully strange and bizarre. And there is a very clear demarcation in the pictures I was making, <laughs> pre-surrealism, and post-surrealism because my pictures just got weirder and weirder. And that's when they really got interesting. And my parents saved everything I drew, which was great to be able to go back. I have it all, you know, go back and look at this stuff. And you really, I mean, you can, boy, you can see the dividing line. And, um, you know, not a lot of people knew what to make of this, the pictures at school or even my friends. It was sort of like, oh, you know, <laughs> Okay, that's weird, you know. And I kind of, you know, for a while I stopped showing my family never. My family was totally on board whatever I did. Total support. Um so that in fact when I got old enough I actually found out, oh, there's art schools. You can go to, you know, kids are like, what am I going to go to college for? And it was oh gosh, I can go and actually study art. You know, why didn't anybody tell me this? Um can I go now? You know. It was uh a big thing. And again, I'm the youngest of five. So by the time my parents got to me, you want to study art, you can study art. Uh, they were totally behind it. And so I went to art school. I went to the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, I began to realize what I liked to do with the pictures that I was making was tell stories. That was the, the big thing. Narrative really came into my, um, my pictures. I was making um, <clears throat> uh, eight millimeter movies in high school, drawing comic books really storytelling based stuff. And when I got to RISD, I began to um, continue to look for ways to make the art that I was creating narrative. It was in my senior year really that I began to look at what um, picture books um, as an outlet. I, I was studying with, before mentioned, David McCauley. He was one of my teachers and his work, he was, he was actually just starting out, but was the books he were, was doing were amazing. And I distinctly remember someone coming into the department one day and saying, hey, the Dillons won the Caldecott Medal. Now, I knew Leo and Diane Dillon because of the science fiction and fantasy book jackets that they did. And I said, uh, oh, what's this Caldecott Medal? And they said, uh, what's this thing they give, you know, for kids picture books? I was like, the Dillons don't do picture books come on and so yeah yeah and i went to look at the books they were doing ashanti Dezulu, why mosquitoes buzz and it was like wow you know this was it was incredible my knowledge of the picture book world was was actually pretty limited i, I read lots of books growing up there weren't really a lot of the classic picture books and the more i looked at the scope of the stories the scope of the styles of art the more I realized that this might be a place where the things I was thinking about um, story-wise and picture-wise might fit in. So when I graduated, I went around to publishers, um, 
with my portfolio of <laughs> some really weird pictures and uh, tried to get work. And, you know, I began doing uh, textbooks, early readers, uh, little animal stories. I mean, really anything anybody would hire me to do, um, I was going to do it. But um, I also had this other stuff. And no one seemed to have manuscripts like the pictures that I was making. And it, I was probably thinking I would write at some point, but it quickly became clear to me that I wasn't going to get to do any stories like that unless I wrote them myself. And once I did, <laughs> I stopped illustrating anything for anybody else and just focused on my own stories. Because again, it the book Freefall was so much more uh, personal and fulfilling to me and clearly other people re responded to it in a way um, I the books I did for other authors they're fine they're professional you know they may be a little more than that but they're not the books that I've written myself and um, you know I, I after after freefall um, the publisher and the editor I was working with said let's do more books and said, okay. And I've been working with the same people pretty much ever since. So um, that's the point at which, I, you know, in a lot of ways I had achieved, that's it. You know, I, here I was creating my own stories with a publisher who wanted to publish them. I mean, that's, that's the goal, I think, for anybody. So, um, you know, it was one of these, when you look back, it's kind of a natural progression of, you know, this discovery, recognizing I wanted to do narrative work and finding an outlet for it. And uh, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> Absolutely. What a great story about how we reach a certain age where we become aware that um, the movies and books and art that we love, that there's actually a real person out there making that. And that's a, a way to live in the world. Um, what, what a great realization to come to. Um, that's one of the things I love about kids going, you know, seeing authors and artists come into schools because I saw no one growing up in the arts. I mean, I literally, I, they knew they must have been out there, but, you know, I can remember as a kid, um, this, is, this is the one I always come back to, Charles Knight, the great um, painter who was the first person to conceive of what dinosaurs actually looked like, you know, beyond a skeleton. The scientists at the Museum of Natural History came to him and said, look, we have these skeletons. What do, you know, let's try and figure out what they might've looked like with flesh and blood, blown, uh, blood and muscle and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And his um, conceptions are still, that's, that's the standard of what everybody bases their dinosaurs on. And um, we had a world book uh, supplement that had some of his uh, paintings that are in the uh, uh, Field Museum in Chicago, and I they astounded me as a kid. I mean, they were so lifelike, and the they were they felt human. They were so the environment was so beautifully painted. And as a little kid, I thought they were photographs, you know. And then later, I was like, oh yeah, I guess they can't be photographs, can they? But there's a point at which I went, wait a minute. So that means someone painted that picture. And that was just like, wow, you know, 
So when I've been in schools and talked to kids, we're often in the library and, you know, just look around and say, look at all the books on these shelves. There's thousands of books here. Someone wrote them and someone drew the pictures. Now, there's all those people out there who make this their their job. And, you know, there could be a kid in every one of those classes who goes, what? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll ask another question. Mm-hmm. So on this season of Forward, we're really focusing on reading outside the box. And by that, I mean, we're imploring our listeners to the podcast to think about the books that they read or the books that they gravitate toward, and then ask them to maybe push their own boundaries and explore more of the world of children's literature. So mm-hmm. one of the ways that they might do that is by picking up a wordless picture book, which you, of course, are known for. So could you tell us a little bit about um, why you started creating wordless picture books? I think maybe that call toward story and illustration is really formative that you've been talking about. Yes, it is. Um, the examples that I saw, and it was by example, um, uh, were not picture books. So I saw them in, I remember the first real example was in a, <laughs> an issue of uh, uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, in 1968. Uh, I opened up the latest issue and the opening splash page and then the next two pages, the double page spread, with a whole page of little panels telling the action, you know, very simple sort of thing where he's breaking into this weird space and stuff. But It was done without any text, no word balloons, you know, no sound effects, just pictures. And my 11-year-old self, you know, kind of went, whoa, you know, that. It was like this little electric shock. And every time I came across another example of a book without words, I had that same reaction. It was just, wow, look at this, you know, you know, that was me. Pictures were my thing. So to see entire stories being told with just pictures was really, really excited, exciting. And um, uh, that continued through um, other comics, the great French uh, comic artist, uh, Mobius, Jean Giroux, who's um, did a whole series of, of comics wordlessly. And um, I saw uh, the great surrealist Max Ernst did a whole novel collaging bits and pieces of all sorts of uh, pulp novels, illustrations together to create this very nightmarish um, story, quote unquote story, it's not a traditional story, but again, it was somehow the accumulative effect of this. And it, it really made a difference that it was in book form. That was the, 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 the other ad- addition to this was the turning of the page. You know, the form of the book started to become more and more the thing that I just loved. And then I saw Edward Gorey's wonderful book, The West Wing, which is maybe, you know, uh, I love that book as much as any book I, I know. Um, and then the real coup de grace was um, discovering the word, woodcut novels that Lind Ward, firstly um, from Lind Ward uh, had done. Uh, I saw those when I was at uh, RISD uh, and that was a, you know, that was it. Here were novels, you know, 200 pages long, beautifully leather bound, um, telling these very complex stories just in pictures, just in these woodcuts. But also the 
not only what the story was about and the way it was being told, but the, the object itself um, just thrilled me. As I said, a gorgeous book, the deckled edge of the page, the feel of the, the beautiful paper, the ink, the smell, the whole sensory picking up and holding this beautiful thing um, with this remarkable visual story inside. Uh, it was like, yep, that's it. I want to do books. <laughs> and uh, once I had the opportunity to, I just said, well, I'll make them wordless. So, of course, after I did Freefall and then even Tuesday, uh, that's when I really began to realize <laughs> there's a lot of other people who were doing wordless picture books. And so then I kind of retroactively went back to see the picture books um, that were done without words, which were, again, mind-boggling in their own, you know, from um, Rain, which I mentioned earlier, Peter Spears' Rain uh, was an early one, uh, The Snowman, Raymond Briggs, uh, Anno's books, uh, The Journey books by Anno, um, and Tana Hoban's. Um, I, most of those books that I saw influenced me, many of them ended up in the show that I just curated at the Carl Museum on the art of wordless picture books. So um, that was a wonderful chance for me to sort of put out a lot of those books that directly, what's going on in that experience, certainly for kids, they're having to, I know it's a buzzword in teaching and stuff, they're in inference, you know, they're looking at the pictures and it's up to them to say, what, what is that person thinking based on, body language, facial expressions, um, relation to another person. Um, all of those interactions, particularly in picture books, are usually not all spelled out. I mean, the artist has put them in there, you know, as I was saying before, to emphasize and, and heighten what's going on in the story. But a child looking at the pictures really has to be able to interpret them and based just on those visual clues. So for People who, you know, parents who say, oh, I have to get my kid out of picture books um, and into reading real books, quote unquote, you know, with text, um, they're missing completely this whole visual language that is offering um, incredible um, resource to their kids uh, because we live in an unbelievably visual world and understanding what you see is really important. Um, it excites me so much when I run into middle school and um, high school teachers who bring picture books into class, you know, and sometimes the kids will be, oh, picture books, they're for little kids. And then, you know, like within minutes, they're going, oh, look at this, this is really cool. As writing prompts, as, as just springboards for, you know, creative projects. And um, that's, that's great because, you know, as you said, picture books are for everybody. Uh, there's no age limit. Absolutely. I agree that um, interpreting those visuals is so important for living in such a digital. And another question I wanted to ask, um, and I know that we're covering such a visual topic with just right. audio, but, you know, we'll have some things for our listeners in the show notes. But what are the, some of the some of the visual elements that we can pay attention to when we read wordless picture books or some of the language that we might bring to the experience when we're talking about what's on the page? For people who haven't ever looked at a wordless book or you know, feel, well, I'm not sure what to do with it, you know, pick it up and just start reading it. And you do have to read the pictures. Um, any picture book 
you have to invest yourself into what's happening on the page. Um, I'm, when I'm talking about shortcut, there's if you don't, you'll never you'll never get half the story, at least if not more. And all of the all of the pictures in any picture book are there to create the world that you're seeing to get across more of the emotional content. Um, you know, tell us more about what the characters are thinking. And it's not just the characters and the objects in the pictures, but also the way the compositions are done that are emphasizing certain things, the way the color or the lighting is set up, again, to emphasize um, what you're seeing, it, you know, something, you know, obvious, you know, very, you know, dark. Um, you know, color can be used to to heighten the emotion, the size of the character on the page. You know, um, a, a child who's you know scared or intimidated or something can be shown. You know, very small within an environment that can feel overwhelming. So there are visual clues like that that are part of every good picture book, anyway, um, where the artist is looking to use the pictures to heighten everything about the story um, that they can. In a wordless book, uh, in those books with text, you know, it's, it's this marriage between text and picture. The, both the text and the um, pictures are uh, working together to get um, all of that information across. When you take away the words, the, the artist has, then has to use nothing but imagery to convey all of the story, all of the emotion um, within that story. And it becomes <laughs> imperative that you read the pictures um, and get in and, and ask yourself questions. I mean, that's the thing. Just look, if, you, if you're not sure what you're looking at or, or what's happening, well, why is this here? What is happening? Just, you know, almost start a dialogue. If you're reading with someone or to a child, have a conversation. Um, I guarantee <laughs> any child you're doing this with will see lots of stuff that uh, many adults won't. Well, this has been wonderful. You have given us so many different ways to read outside the box on this episode. David, thank you for being with us. Now, before we leave, we have one question to wrap it up. What is the best piece of creative advice that you've been given? I've gotten an enormous amount of great creative advice uh, and much of it you know i still go back to things and they're often you know very simple things that were said to me while i was a student the more personal your art is the more um it's going to stand out no one else will be doing what you do whatever's within you you know embrace that and explore it because it's it's something very personal to you that, uh, you know, the one you can share with the world. What a beautiful note to end on. Forward is a podcast of Island Readers and Writers. Island Readers and Writers is a nonprofit in Southwest Harbor, Maine, with the mission to inspire a love of reading and learning in children living on Maine's coastal islands and in rural communities in Washington County. The Forward podcast was created in 2020 by Taylor Mace and is written, produced, and hosted by Kelsey Buckley. You can find Forward on your favorite podcatcher or online at 
islandreadersandwriters.org slash podcasts. See you soon.